praise the Lord. Though he's a king, we can come peasant or prince to own him. I'm thankful for that because I fit that peasant group. Just a farm boy, saved by the grace of God. Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. I'll be looking at this Sunday tonight and probably next Sunday night some prophecies concerning the Messiah or concerning the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Tonight, look at Isaiah verse chapter nine, verse six. One of the more familiar prophecies concerning him. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful. It's not Wonderful Counselor, it's Wonderful Counselor. All the modern versions take out that comma there. He's called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to be assembled together tonight. I pray, Father, as we look into your word, that you would encourage us and challenge us to be obedient, to take heed to thy word, realizing what we have in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The title is simply, A Wonderful Gift from God. And what I want to do tonight is just take each of these titles and things that are said about him here and and kind of preach on it. First of all, notice he says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. So a child is born. Notice the distinction here. A child is born, but the son is given. The son was not born. The son was given. Of course, when you refer to the child is born, you're referring to his humanity. At a point in time, Jesus became a human being. Genesis 3.15 says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And that's, of course, a the first mention, you might say, of a Redeemer, and the first mention of Jesus Christ in the Bible, it would be her seed, the seed of a woman. In Galatians 4, verse 4, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, here it is, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that are under the law. And so the child was born. Jesus was a man. He was born as a babe in a manger, and he became a man. He had the characteristics, many of the characteristics of human beings. He became weary. John 4 tells us he became weary with his journey, and he sat on Jacob's well. He was, he was at time, became hungry. And he wasn't a teenager at this point, but he did become hungry. 
Mark 11, 12, 13 says, And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if happily he might find anything thereon. And, see, and, see, and when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the, figs, the time of figs was not yet. And of course, we know he cursed the fig tree. Uh, he shed tears of sorrow. John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. He became angry with the Pharisees because of their hypocrisy, the hardness of their hearts. He was angry with them. Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 2 and verses 14 through 18, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, deliver them who through, all, through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him who made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted. You ever been tempted? So was Christ. He suffered it. He endured it. And he is able there to succor them that are tempted. Now Hebrews 4.15 says, For we not have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So he knows what it's like to be tempted. I mean, the Pharisees, maybe I'm stretching this here, but the Pharisees' reaction would have tempted me to do like John James said, let's destroy him. He was angry at them. I mean, because of their, their hypocrisy and their inconsistencies. So the child was born, it speaks of his humanity. He was a human being like you and I. But, He's different from us yet in that he was given. And of course, this speaks of his deity. It speaks of his deity. Look at uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Again, a familiar passage where it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. In other words, he was equal with God. He was God but made himself, notice, he made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. So, you have God, the Son in eternity past, who took the form of a man, of a servant, and was made like unto a man. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So much like us, they died. But he, notice it says, was made in the likeness of men. So it speaks about the fact that he pre-existed before that. He just took on a body and was made like a man. John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. Verse 14 says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Of course, 1 Timothy 3.16 says, Without controversy, 
There's no question about this. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. The word great is the word mega. I mean, this is a, this is a mega mystery. You heard about you know, winning the mega lottery? Mega millions? I never will because I don't play it. But, uh, you know, this is a, a mega mystery. God was manifest in the flesh. Justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in the glory. So Jesus Christ, the God-man, you see, he was not the fruit of a union between a man and a woman. Through natural conception. He was conceived of the Holy Ghost. Matthew one twenty tells us and when the, the angel spoke to the Lord, he says that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. His birth is unique. It's one of a kind. That's what begotten really means there in John 3.16. Therefore, because of this, he did not inherit the sin nature of man. You know, 1 John 3.5 says that in him, in it's present tense, in him is no sin. Because he was God, he could not sin. He had no attraction or no inclination to sin. You, know, you and I have this natural inclination to sin. That's why you don't have to teach your children to lie or steal. I mean, they'll help themselves with the cookies even if they're not supposed to, even if they're told not to. That's the natural inclination of we human beings is to disobey an authority over us. But the Lord Jesus didn't have that. So, so we see the child is born, the son is given. Then I want you to notice some of these other titles that are given to him. It says, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And I titled, or called this the burden bearer. Now, when it says the government shall be upon his shoulder, you know, I think the primary application here may be to the millennium. But, but you're, when you think about a shoulder, it, it speaks of responsibility. You know, we, we will say... Well, he can handle it. He's got broad shoulders. In other words, he can take, he can bear the responsibility. That's that's a you know common say. So it speaks of a burden bearer. In Isaiah fifty three, <clears throat> Isaiah fifty three, verses four and six, and then ten and eleven, it says, "Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did stream him stricken, smitten of God, inflicted." He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All the sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 10, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put his, him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. So he is our burden bearer. Hebrews 9.28 says, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. 1 Peter 2.24 Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, 
by whose stripes you were healed. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So he is our burden bearer. He's our burden bearer. Fourthly, he is wonderful. Now the word wonderful here means admirable or distinguish the miracle of God or a miracle of God. You know, he's described in the Bible as the beautiful rose of Sharon, the bright morning star, the lily of the valley, the fairest of 10,000, a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. He's bread to the hungry soul, water to the thirsty. He's a refuge to the fearful. He's strength to the weary. He's a father to the fatherless. He's hope to the hopeless. He's the balm of Gilead to the hurting. Yes, he is a wonderful Savior. And only he can give life. And life more abundantly. He said, I come to give life. And life more abundantly. Yes, he is a wonderful Savior. He is wonderful. But not only is he wonderful, he's our counselor. Notice verse 6 again. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor. When I was in high school, they had what we called a guidance counselor. And I knew some students that went to see the guidance counselor for certain things. But from what I understand, I never went to one. Um, but from what I understand, you could go to them, the guidance counselor, and talk to them about the best courses of learning to take to prepare you for the career path you wanted to go in. That was kind of, I think, the idea of a guidance counselor. Um, but we have the best counselor the world, heaven or earth, has to offer. We are the best. I mean, think about it. He created life. He sustains life. He holds the keys of life and death. Now, I'm going to ask you a dumb question. Do you think he knows something about life? Do you think maybe he knows what's best for your life? You'd have to be a fool to say no. I mean, he created life. He sustains life. He holds the keys of death and of hell. In John 1.18, the Bible says, No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Colossians 2, 8-10 says, Beware lest any man spoil you. And the word spoil there has the idea of ruin. Through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men. After the rudiments or the principles of this world and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and we are complete in him. You know, we, we don't need the philosophies of the world. We have everything that we need 
to thoroughly furnish us unto all good works for life and godliness through him. We're complete in him. <clears throat> you know, Proverbs eleven fourteen says, Where no counsel is, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors there is safety. Chapter 15, verse 22, without counsels, counsel, purposes are disappointed, but in the multitude of counsels, counselors, they are established. Proverbs 24, 6, for wise counsel thou shalt make thy war, and a multitude of counselors, there is safety. Now, when I believe the Bible is talking about a multitude of counselors, it's talking about the words of Scripture. You know, God, through inspiration, the guidance of the Holy Spirit, used 40 different men to give us his word. We have a multitude of counselors, a multitude of witnesses, a multitude of examples. We have a multitude of illustrations about real life scenarios that will help us and guide us in life if we'll just take, just receive the counsel. Let me give you an illustration. Joshua and Caleb. Everybody knows who Joshua and Caleb were. They were the two good guys, you know. And Joshua and Caleb, when the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed up Korah, Datham, and Abiram, and all their company, Joshua and Caleb were standing over here and watching. Untouched. When the children of Israel murmured and they wanted meat, and God sent them quails, and some of them ate so much, and the plague set in and killed some of them. Joshua Caleb standing over here watching, untouched. The plague of Peor, when the women of Moab seduced the men of Israel and invited them to their sacrifices, and there was a plague again amongst the people, and 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 and. Phineas took a javelin and, and struck through them through, and, and multitudes were, were, were slain because of their wickedness. And Joshua and Caleb are standing over there, just watching, untouched. Probably grieving because of the devastation and destruction that's coming on. They're friends. And acquaintances. The children of Israel murmured against Moses and against God, and God sent fiery serpents in to bite them. And Joshua and Caleb just standing over there watching. Untouched. Just observing it all. You know, and they could have said, I told you so. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if Joshua Caleb did try to tell some of them different. But all the men their age died in the wilderness. All of them. But they were not, not one plague touched 
Why? Why? You know why? Because they had an all-wise counselor that they followed. The Bible says that five times that Josh or Caleb wholly followed the Lord his God. And not one plague, not one snake had any effect or plagued Caleb or Joshua. Why? Because they followed the counselor. The word of the Lord. You see, we have a counselor that we need to follow who knows what's best for our life. Who knows how to keep us from the consequences and the, the destruction caused by sin and rebellion against Him. He knows how to protect us. You see, they wholly followed the Lord his God. You know, do you think, you know, he who instituted marriage, think he knows something about marriage? You know, a lot of people have, I've had a counsel, tried to counsel a few people with marital problems, and it's always his fault, her fault, his fault, her fault, you know. They don't stop and consider, what does the Lord want me to do? So we have, we have, he is our counselor. We need to follow or take heed to his counsel. He knows what is best. And then he's also called here the mighty God. Verse 6, the mighty God. Uh, that, of course, is a reference to Jehovah, Jehovah God. And, of course, it is a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 9, 5 says, Whose are the fathers, and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all. God bless forever. Amen. He's over all. He is the Almighty One. You know, remember in John 10, 29 and 30, Jesus said, My Father which gave them me is greater than all. No man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. And then he said this, I and my Father are one. And of course they took up stones. The next verse says they took up stones to stone him. Revelation 1, 8 says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith Lord, which is, which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. See, he is the almighty God. He's the one that created the world. Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16 says, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether it be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. So 
you know, he is the almighty God. He, he, is, he is the creator of everything. Uh, Paul, writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, states it this way, that thou keep this commandment without spot, 1 Timothy 6, 14, unbrookable unto the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in his times he shall so, show, who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light, which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. You see, he is the almighty God. And it's to him that we're going to give an account of our stewardship. He's the Lord. He's the master of heaven and earth. It's to him that the unsaved will have to stand before and give an account. Be turned away and cast into the lake of fire. So he is the mighty God. Not only was he a child that was born, a son that was given, a burden bearer, wonderful, counselor, the mighty God, but he's also the everlasting Father. The everlasting Father. Again, in John 10, 29 and 30, he said, My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Uh, verse 28 of that chapter, he says, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. You know, he is an everlasting Father. When he becomes your Father, he never ceases to be your Father. You know, in this world, we, we, we say it, you know, it isn't really true because we Man does live for eternity, but but in this world we can lose fathers. Our fathers leave this life. But he's an everlasting father. Jeremiah thirty one three he told Israel, The Lord hath appeared of old time unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love, therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. You know I like what it says in Second Corinthians six eighteen. Where he says, if, if, if you will come out from among them, be you separate, saith the Lord. He says, and I will be a father unto you. And ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. You know, God desires to be, have a close relationship with his children. A father-son-like relationship. And, of course, the breakdown in the home in America has destroyed that picture. I was several years back, <clears throat> we were doing some visiting out uh, 1A, which is really Main Street extended, that runs from Wake Forest to Youngsville. I was talking with a uh, young man and his girlfriend, that were living together. And I was, you know, witnessing to them and, and they were listening 
and trying to, it appeared they were trying to understand and comprehend. And I, in the course of the conversation, I used the illustration like, like a father and a child, and, their, and his child. And this girl said, she said, I can't relate to that. Because she said, I never really had a father that cared about us. Father was an alcoholic. Um, it was just, you know, a mess was a home. So it ruined that picture. See, God God wants to be this, is, is to us a loving father. A father loves us and cares about every need. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. <clears throat> did, did any of you ever have your dad say when he disciplined you, this hurts me more than it does you? I don't remember my dad ever saying that to me, but I think I may have said it a couple times to my kids. I don't think they believed me. I wouldn't have believed it if my dad had said it to me, at least not when I was little. When I became an adult and had children, then I would have believed it. Then I would have believed it. But I'm telling you tonight, God is pained, grieved, when he has to chasten us. Hebrews chapter 12. Verse uh, 5. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye deal with chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. What son is he whom the father chasteneth not? You know, if, if the Lord chastens you, it's because you're his child. He loves you. Not because he desires to hurt you, but he desires fruit. Let's read on here. Uh, drop down to verse 10. For they, speaking of our earthly fathers, for they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. But he for our profit, that we might be partakers of, the, of his holiness. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth for the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. See, our earthly fathers chastened us for their pleasure so that we would obey them and show them reverence. How much more does our heavenly father chasten us for our profit? But you know, when you're, when you're little and you're being chastened, all you know is it hurts. At least that's what I remember. It hurt. But see, I realize now, although my dad never said it then, that he did it because he loved me, because he cared. He didn't want me getting arrested for drugs or drinking. Or living a wicked life. So he corrected me. And, 
And, be, and because my dad cared and corrected me, I feared him. And because I feared him, I feared God in the same way. You see, we have an everlasting Father that cares about us. But He is an everlasting Father. He'll never, He'll never leave us nor forsake us. But He will chasten us. That ought to encourage us. And ought to Help us to appreciate our Heavenly Father and appreciate our earthly fathers that corrected us. So He is he is an everlasting Father. He's also mentioned here in, in verse 6 again where it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon His shoulder, and His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And the word Prince means Chief or Captain, Lord, master, that's the idea. Speaking of nobility or a place or a position of high rank, you know, he is the prince of peace. You know, Satan is called the prince of this world or the prince of the power of the air or the prince of darkness. But Jesus is called the prince of peace. Prince of peace. John 14, 27. <clears throat> John 14, 27. He says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You know, there is really no peace in the world. But people talk about peace. But there really isn't peace in the world. But Jesus said, My peace I give unto you. Peace can only be received through the Lord Jesus Christ. In John 16, he says, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. You know, the world can be in chaos. You can be in the midst of problems or tribulation, and this passage really is talking about that they're going to be arrested, they're going to be brought before kings and and, and, and some that are going to kill them think they do God's service, but he said, don't worry about it. In me you can have peace. There's going to be tribulation in the world, but in me you can have peace. You know, sometimes that's hard to fathom. But someone has said if you, it, the, the ocean can be as rough as can be on the surface, but underneath, all seems well. All seems well. And if you have a, a right relationship with the Lord, there can be problems that you're facing in life, and you can still have the song of the Lord on your heart. I mean, that's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. It contradicts everything the world says. It's a paradox. It doesn't seem to 
fit, but it's true. Why? Because he is the Prince of Peace. Ephesians 2.14 says, For he is our peace. It can only be had in him. You can't have peace without the Prince of Peace. The old saying is. Colossians 1 verse 20 <clears throat> excuse me, Colossians 1.20 and says, And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether it be things in heaven, earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled or made at peace with God. You see, this wonderful gift that God has given in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ, in Him, you can have peace. I mean, He's the most wonderful person you can have fellowship with. He's the greatest counselor that the universe knows. He has more wisdom than the ancients. You know, David said, I have more wisdom than the ancients because I keep thy precepts. Oh, he's the almighty God that can, that has solutions to our problems. You know, the world talks about all the problems they have, but they don't offer any solutions. You know, I was talking to Brother Hoyle yesterday about, I read an article about the solutions to all the harassment cases. You know, the world's talking and talking and talking about all these harassment cases, sexual harassment cases, but they're not offering any solutions. They don't want any solutions. They just want to talk about it. And the guy said, there's simple, three simple solutions. You know what? You know why they don't want them? Because they're all biblical. He said, number one, use the Pence rule. You don't have a dinner date with any woman besides your wife. Number two, some modesty. And number three, chastity. All Bible principles. Simple solutions. Why? We have a counselor that created life and knows what life is all about. Do you know him? Is, is he your wonderful gift? Is he your counselor? Are you following his instructions like Joshua and Caleb did? Do you have the peace that only he can give? can have you can have because he desires that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth do you know him tonight let's pray heavenly father thank you again for your word thank you for the truths and the simplicity of those truths help us to heed Serious consideration for your instructions. Help us to follow the all-wise counselor that you've given us.
your word. Apply it to our lives. Lord, we pray if there be any in our midst tonight who do not have that assurance that they've ever received the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior from sin. I pray that the Spirit of God work in their hearts. Bring repentance and faith. Have your will and your way in this invitation time, we pray in Jesus' name.